You and I know that making smart financial decisions can be challenging. But in the 21st century, financial freedom is no longer just for the 1% wealthy. It is for you and me. The question is, how do we find time, avoid making painful mistakes, and find the best resources to help us reach our financial goals? Join me on my journey helping busy families figure out how they can gain financial confidence and clarity, get actionable tips, and learn from the best experts on how to stop trading time for money. It is now the time you started living your best financial life. My name is Anna Shurgunina, and welcome to the Money Boss Podcast. Hey, Money Bosses, are you ready to get your financial life in order? Once and for all, as soon as possible? Are you tired of living paycheck to paycheck? Do you often lose track of how much money you have to spend? Do you want to get your financial life together, but just don't quite know how? I am with you. I've been there. I've struggled through all of these. And I know you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to get better. So why do you continue to struggle? I know you can get your own money in order. It took me years to figure out. It took me years of pain, struggle, frustration, anger. But you don't have to go through all of that. You don't even have to get a financial planning degree like I did in order to be successful. Allow me to present to you my Money Flow system, a free playbook of how you can automate your finances, even if you hate budgeting. After you download this free playbook, you will never have to worry about budgeting and who likes that budgeting thing anyway. You will stop accumulating debt and create a bulletproof plan of how to quickly pay it off. You will be able to pinpoint exactly what your income and expenses are. You will never have to miss a single bill again. And you will always, always have a solid idea of how much money is in each of your accounts. So head over to money-flowsystem.com to download my free Money Flow Playbook, a blueprint to streamline your finances in less five or five weeks. Guaranteed. Head over to money-flowsystem.com. In a society where we are wired to our core to grow, to focus, to achieve, to expand, to always have targets and goals, something that we're always chasing, it's hard to imagine that we can actually have a life without goals. In today's episode, we will be discussing how the focus on goals can take away from the present moment and why it's important to be mindful of this problem. We'll also will be exploring why do humans set goals and what role does fear play in that? How can setting goals sometimes be a desperate attempt to control the future? And why are there some problems with the goal setting? And finally, we'll explore whether there is a balance between setting goals and living in the present and how you can achieve that balance. My guest today is Derek Hagen, a financial therapist specializing in meaning in life. He helps people understand money's role in their lives and guide them toward a life of meaning. Join our conversation. Hey, Money Bosses. Welcome back to the Money Boss Podcast. My name is Anna Surgunina, and I'm excited for today's conversation. Derek, welcome to the show. 
Thanks so much for having me. We are talking today about a unique approach to not having goals. And as Derek likes to call it, living without goals. I'll tell you the truth. I'm very intrigued by this concept. I've read some articles on it and I'm trying to wrap my mind around not only how to utilize and how to live with this concept in, you know, in the financial planning life, because that's what I help people with, but also in our everyday life. So if we can kind of start with unpacking, how is that idea even possible? Great question. So and, and I'll, oh, I'm sorry. So it's going to be helpful to talk about the fact that this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of nuance in terms of, of terminology and things here. So it might be helpful to, to hear how I'm defining goal and what that means, what that doesn't mean. So in my definition of the word goal, I'm saying this is something that's out in the future that hasn't yet happened. And it's a specific outcome that you're hoping to achieve. So that's, I think, what most people would think of when they're thinking about goals. I want to lose 10 pounds, right? Obviously, I have 10 pounds to lose or I wouldn't have this goal. It's somewhere off in the future and I, I'll know when I get there because then I'm 10 pounds lighter or I want my boss's job or I want to run a marathon in four hours. Those are all a specific outcome out in the future. So that's what I'm talking about when I say let's not focus on goals. Some people might call them outcome goals. The, the differ, the, the alternative to this is something I call a system, which is something that you're doing every day. Uh, so it might be helpful to think of an example. An example might be, I, I, I do a lot of reading. So I might set myself a goal that says, I'm gonna read 60 books every year. And that might be a fun goal to, to hit. And then if I hit my goal of 60 books, then I'm happy. I get my shot of dopamine, you know, the, the pleasure chemical. I'm really excited that I did it. If I didn't quite get there, maybe I got 58 books or 59. I'm disappointed in myself. I almost got it. Why did I take May off and go to the beach all the time? Dang it, I should, I should have reached my goal of 60 books. So then what happens is I'm going to start to change what I'm reading. You know, there's bigger books that I have an interest in. Daniel Kahneman has a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. It's about an inch plus mm -hmm. thick. Anything by Steven Pinker is 700 pages long. I mean, these are books that are, they take a long time to read and they're pretty thick with content. So if I was really trying to get through my 60 books, I might not want to pick those up because that's going to chew up a whole month or more. And then it's going to make it less likely that I'm going to get to 60. So now really as an unintended consequence, I've sort of changed my behavior. The unintended consequences of trying to read more is that I'm choosing shorter, easier to read books at the expense of maybe longer books, just so I can achieve that goal and feel good about myself. It's kind of the same idea of I've got my to-do list and then I'll go, I forgot something to put on my to-do list. So I go do the dishes, say, and then I say, oh, it should be on my list. I write it on my list and then I check it off just so I can get that satisfying feeling of checking something off my to-do list. That's kind of the feeling you get when you achieve your goal. So a different version of that with regard to reading, let's use that example still, is a system. Maybe my system is every day I read for an hour. 
So now I don't care how many, I'm detached from the outcome. I don't care how many books I read in a year, but every day I'm gonna read for one hour. Now I can take those longer books because as long as I'm reading that longer book for an hour, I'm doing what I want to be doing. And again, like I said, this is laced in terminology. Some people might say, well, then your goal is to read for an hour. Uh, fair enough. So the difference as I'm defining it is if it's something, a specific outcome in the future, like reading mm -hmm. 60 books, then that's a goal. If it's something you're doing every day or at least regularly without attaching to a particular outcome, then that would be a system. I like that a lot. And I can relate to like the reading piece because I said, all right, I'm going to read 10 pages every night. Right. And I don't really care how many books that's going to get me through. Right. But it's like, there's still a goal to that, but I have it, I have it going every day. So I'm trying, you know, trying to kind of get away from, like, from the number of books. The more I think about this, the more it makes sense, but then I still come back because let's, let's take this around personal finances because you and I both have background in this topic. So in anyone, right, really thinking about, okay, um, how do I do better with my money, right? They don't automatically think, what can I do on a daily basis, right? They think about, okay, when I save a million dollars, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to retire. I'm going to buy a house or, you know, whatever the goal is, right? There's still a specific number attached to it. There's a date attached to it. So how do we wrap this outcome, you know, less outcome concept into, you know, the part of where like you have to have some targets. Otherwise, how do you know, like you're even on track? There's a few doors that we can walk through there. One is thinking about if we take goals down and split them up that you can think of life goals and you can think of financial goals. And I like to say that there's no such thing really as financial goals. There's only life goals that have a price tag, right? There's only a goal you have, and then there's a way to pay for it. So the quote unquote way to pay for it is what people often call a financial goal. So I want to retire. Then my retirement goal is how do I pay for retirement? Or I want to get a new car. The, the financial goal attached to that is how do I pay for that new car? And if we go a little bit deeper, I also have a, a philosophy that I hit the ground with or you know, you get up on my soapbox about, and that is money itself shouldn't be a goal. Money is a tool to achieve these other things that you want, these other goals that you want, if you want to use that term, or living your life. You want to live your life. Money is the tool. Money is not a goal. So if somebody says, I've got a magic number, as soon as I get $3 million, then I can retire. As soon as my portfolio gives me $75,000 per year, then I can retire. Or uh, I want to be part of this so-called FIRE community, financially independent, retiring early. And I want to retire at age 36. Okay, those are all monetary goals. That says nothing about life. So my, my pushback to those is, what will you do with that $3 million or that $75,000 per year? Or what are you going to do if you're remaining four decades if you retire at age 38? or whatever number I said. So mm -hmm. using money as a tool is very mm -hmm. important, but it's, it's in service of your life. So to loop this back to the original question is how do you do the system piece 
with money because we still have to, to live our life. That's as, uh, it, it could be as simple as, or as difficult as we want it to be, but it can be as simple as bringing this down to what do I want to do? So saving 15% of my paycheck, that's a system. Hoping to get a million dollars, that's a goal or, or trying to get a target of a million dollars is a goal. So if we, we can bring this back closer to the present and say, what can we do every day to get us to an ideal, ideal future without sacrificing the present? Because we also don't wanna become Ebenezer Scrooge where we're depriving ourselves in the present so that some unknown hopeful future happens. So we have to balance both our, our present and our future. But what, what is the system? What is the monthly, the quarterly, the daily or weekly thing that we can do with our money that's more likely to make us better off in the future? And then we monitor and then we see is 15% to use my example, is this still possible? Do you, are you saving too much? Do you see you having to dip into your savings all the time? Maybe we should shrink that back, or maybe you you could be saving more. You can start. You can tweak this as we go because there's a kind of a guru in our industry, Carl Richards, and he likes to say uh, the plan itself is worthless, but the ongoing process of planning is is very valuable. And and he uses the example: if I stand up and take a look around, I'm going to get information on what the world looks like. But if I walk 20 feet and look around, the world looks different because as time passes, you get new information. So you should always use that information. So it's the, a living, breathing thing to think about what you should be doing or what you can be doing with your, with your money. So the reason I say that, let's say I have that million dollar target and then two years go by and I find out I kind of like a simpler life than I used to. So now maybe a million dollars, I don't even need a million dollars to live a comfortable lifestyle or vice versa. Maybe I find out that I really like the high life and now I need $3 million to do that. Now what do I have to give up in order to start saving more? But in both cases, I can start with uh, you know, a direction, a flag in the ground, a purpose, if you will, some area that I wanna go. I can bring that back to what do I need to do every day, every quarter of the week to get there and then regularly check in and see, is this, was I too heroic or can I be doing more? And just regularly checking in with yourself. You talk about this um, a lot um, where when you think about, like when you're focused on, on that target or the goal, you kind of live in a future. Um, how do we, like, I guess the one question around that is like, why do we set goals to begin with, right? Like everything, everything around you is kind of positioned that way, right? New Year's resolutions and save more money and lose weight. And I mean, I can go on and on, right? With all kinds of stuff. So why do we set goals? Because if the goal is to live now, like why do we get distracted by this like carrot, right? That's being dangled in front of us. Um, so are we like running in some kind of circle here, disconnected? Yeah, I can give you a couple of answers. There's the the more philosophical, esoteric version, and then there's the more real version. But as you were talking about running in circles, it's there's a phrase we use in the financial world called the hedonic treadmill, which is 
if we if we think that we'll only be satisfied as soon as fill in the blank, then as soon as we get that, we'll become used to it. And then we need to find a new set a new goal. And then it just is a perpetual thing that never ends. So the, the esoteric version, the kind of you know, philosophical version of why do we set goals? There's a school of thought that says humans are just really uncomfortable with uncertainty. We don't like knowing that we can't control the future. Hate it. And so one reason for setting goals is it kind of gives us the illusion of at least we can paint a picture that might happen in the future. I can, I can paint a picture of this future that might exist. Even if it doesn't, at least I'm imagining what the future might look like because that alleviates my, my fear of, of anything can happen. I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, or to say this another way, there's sci-fi movies do this all the time. If, if there was ever some kind of a time travel device and you go back in time, everybody always says, don't touch anything, don't do anything because the smallest you know, butterfly effect back in the past will wildly change today. And so if we ever had the opportunity to go into the past, we'd be really careful not to change the sequence of events but today we're always making choices and whatever choice we make today is going to change whatever the future happens to be. And that's uncomfortable for people. So setting goals can be a way to try to alleviate that. Mm -hmm. The more real version for normal people is we don't, we're, we're always trying to be better. So there can be the perception that if I don't have any goals, am I just sitting around not doing anything? So and, and that's partially true and it's partially a misconception. Um, this is related to concepts of mindfulness, which is paying close attention to the present moment uh, without judgment and wanting it to be different. Uh, in both of those cases, some criticism tends to be, does that mean you're just a doormat and you let everybody walk all over you and you don't care what happens? Well, th that's not true. You can still do things in the present that can alter and make your life better or potentially better in the future. So the, the difference is, or the, uh, the reason for setting goals or whatever else we wanna call it, using systems or having a vision or having a purpose, all of those are ways for us to try to think about how we might improve our lives. Uh, so whether we call it a goal and hope for a specific outcome or whether it's a system, something I do every day or a purpose, uh, there's somebody that, that I want to be. It's a way for me to think about how I want my life to unfold. And I think that's okay. Uh, the, the thing that I caution is when I get into the goal version or start using the term goal, then I'm starting to create a particular outcome that I want. And I'm setting myself up for disappointment if I don't hit that goal and being happy if I hit it, but oftentimes these are, are arbitrary, arbitrary. So I'll just give one more example just because I, I like mm -hmm. to beat these dead horses here. If I have a target of 20% growth, see I'm a salesperson and somebody says, you should grow your sales by 20% a year. If I work really hard and I grew my sales by 22%, I'm going to be happy with myself. But should I be if 29 was possible? You know, I left like... 7% on the table or whatever. I forgot the number they used. Or if I work really hard and I, I got 18% growth, 
I'm going to be disappointed. I missed it by two percentage points. But what if that was all that was possible and I maxed out what was possible? So in some sense, a specific outcome or what I'm calling a goal is arbitrary. So if we can detach from hoping for a specific outcome and just being happy with whatever happens, as long as we're doing things that are more likely to make us better off in the future, then we can be happy with whatever the outcome happens to be. Mm -hmm. How how do we do this in our day-to-day life? Because I I, I really, I really am synced with the last example you gave, like reaching a sales target or like for our clients' portfolios, right? I don't manage portfolios. And that's one of the things I'm like, it doesn't matter what the return will be, right? What is What has happened, right, with you in last year, right? If, if we're looking like how terrible the stock market was last year, like, did you accomplish other things that you set to do, right? Like, did you experience life in other ways? So if we know that that's like, a miserable way you keep you know you're going to beat yourself up if if you didn't reach that target or if you overachieved it great you don't you know maybe there's more possible so like what can you do on day-to-day basis uh, or how do you approach something like that like what do your habits have to be um yeah what do your habits have to be so that you can sort of stay in sync with this and not get um distracted by because you're not hitting these targets. And that's an important point, habits. Um, Being able to habitize, it basically means taking some behavior and making it subconscious. What can you do every day? If you're doing it as a habit, it's probably every day or or multiple times a day. Uh, So if it's, any behavior can be a habit. Checking the stock market every 15 minutes, that's a habit, probably not a good one. But if you regularly check in with, okay, if we, this comes back to what is what is my money for? And so if, we, if we're defining money as just a tool, then we can think about money's purpose in your life. This is a tool, but it's an important tool. It's a tool that you need to know how to care for. You need to tend it, you, you, know, you need to take care of this tool. You need to know how to use it, but ultimately it's worthless by itself. It's like having a hammer around and and nothing to do with the hammer. You have to use this hammer for something. So what is money's role in your life? The so-called financial purpose. And when you define this, then you can eventually get to the point where either I've automated all the good habits, the good things that I need to do, or I, I hired somebody to do the things that I don't want to do, or maybe I don't even can't do it. Say my taxes, it's tax season as we record this. And then I can focus on what do I actually want to do? If money's role in my life is to help me raise independent, uh, intelligent children, then my time should be spent with my kids, helping raise them into be independent, intelligent members of society. If, if money's role in my life is to have a lot of adventures uh, or to connect and create, then I can figure out what does what do I need to do? What do my behaviors need to do or need to be to connect uh, with people, to create art or whatever it happens to be within the realm of what I can afford. So this is not a golden ticket to go overspend. So because you still have future you that relies on your decisions now. So that comes back to balancing the present and the future. But what 
money's role in your life is to live life. So what does that mean to us? And that's going to be different for, for every person. So my answer very uh, specifically was not about what financial thing can I do every day? Should I go in and move money every day? Should I check my account balances every day? Should I, you know, those things are things that systematizing personal finances, spending a lot of time up front to create your personal finance system so that you don't have to monitor it every day. And part of that is going to be automation, your 401k, your 403b, that comes out before you even see your paycheck. And maybe once it hits your paycheck, hits your checking account, maybe you have automatic transfers to savings. Maybe your bills are on auto pay. Maybe you've, you've hired advisors uh, like Main Street to be your, your planner. And that's part of your system is they're doing the investing for you. They're reminding you what you should be doing every quarter or whatever it is. That way you can live your life. Or maybe you are a do-it-yourselfer and, and still mm -hmm. you need to have a system in place, which is maybe I still have a lot of the, of the tax saving or the investment. Maybe that's on some kind of automatic kind of system where it's it's some kind of algorithm that's doing it. Or maybe it's a checklist. Every month I do this and I transfer that and I pay off this. But having that system in place, it takes some work and some time to think through what that system is. And then you get to let the system run in the background while you live your life. I like that. You mentioned Carl Richards. Actually, uh, here on the wall, have uh, one of his calendars. I'm a big fan, too. <laughs> um, uh, so he does talk about uh, financial. I forget the specific term, but I think it's like financial life statement or life purpose statement. Um, can because you mentioned uh, mentioned that term too. Can you can you give us an idea? Like, how do you start to think about that? I know it does involve reassessing what your values are, like putting kind of goals on uh, aside for now, and, and thinking about like what's really valuable to you. Um, so how do how does one even start to think about what's what's their life purpose statement? If you think about goals and on one side on one of your shoulders and values on your other shoulder, they can seem like they're very related. But a goal, as we discussed earlier, is something that it's you can hit it and it's done and then you have to set a new goal. A value is something that will never be achieved. If, you're, if your value is being a good parent, there's never a point where you say, okay, I guess I'm done being a good parent now or, or creativity. Okay, I've, I've completed the creativity. It, they don't finish. So trying to live in alignment with your values instead of with goals, or if you're going to use goals, making sure that they're informed by your values is important. So understanding what your values are is very important. And it's the first step. And this sounds easy. And for some people, it is. Most people, if you ask them what they value, are going to say family, freedom, security or some combination of those three. Uh, and those are true. I mean, those are human needs, really. Those aren't really values, those are needs. So what is it that you actually value? And then how can you live your life in alignment with that? Why this is important. We all are victims of the keeping up with the Joneses effect by no fault of our own. Like, it's easy for me to, to look at somebody else and say, look at that person that's just trying to keep up with the Joneses. 
completely oblivious mm-hmm. of the fact that other people are looking at me saying, look at that guy, he's keeping up with the Joneses. It's mm-hmm. it's super common because we get caught up in social comparison. This is how we're hardwired. If you trace back, you know, 10, 12, 50 grandparents ago, eventually you're going to get to the point where they were living in groups, small groups, where they had to know how they fit into the group. Mm-hmm. That's the brain that we got. Those are the genes that we inherited. So we're hardwired to compare ourselves socially, which is a problem because we don't live in those times anymore. And especially now with social media, where we're not comparing ourselves to just our neighbors, we're comparing ourselves to the entire world. And this is just an unfair comparison. So if I feel, say, financial stress, or I feel like I'm missing something, and I look out and I see my neighbors are doing just fine, at least it looks like they are, then I'm going to do what they're doing, hoping to get in on some of that, some of that happiness. The recognition that everybody has different values helps peel back the curtain on the Joneses effect because it helps you see that, okay, they might have some value that I don't have, or I might have different values than they have. So to, to pick on the stereotype, the cul-de-sac house with the big cul-de-sac house with multiple foreign vehicles in the driveway. If I'm across the cul-de-sac from that person, I can start to feel like I'm not driving the right cars or I'm not going on the right vacations or I'm not wearing the right clothes, using the right, right golf clubs or whatever it happens to be. But by checking in with my values, I can say they must value sports cars. I value skiing or I value fishing. This is a totally different vehicle that I need. So if I can remind myself that, then I don't have to feel judged by other people and it helps me not judge others. So recognizing that we've got our own values is is the first step. And then just recognizing that life is is short and finite. And there's, there's a brilliant book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying by Bronnie Ware. And she, for people who don't know, she was an end of life caregiver in Australia. I think Australia, maybe New Zealand. But she was working with just people who, it was basically hospice care. They weren't trying to save them. She was just helping people who were dying. And what she found when she talked to them was that most people regretted some aspect of their life. And as she had more and more conversations, she realized that they tended to fall into five categories. And, and so she wrote this book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying so that we don't have to wait until we're on our deathbed to realize that we've been doing these things. We can recognize them now when there's time to do something about it. And so real quickly, those top five regrets are I didn't live a life that was true to myself. I lived a life that others expected of me. I worked too much or I worked too hard. I lost touch with my friends and my family members. I didn't express myself. I didn't have the courage to express myself. And I didn't allow myself to be happier. Or I had this so-called contingent happiness. I'll be happy as soon as type of hamster wheel that we get on. And this top two regrets, I didn't live a life that was true to myself. Well, that's keeping up with the Joneses. And I worked too hard is often related to that. Why am I working so hard? Because I need more of this stuff or I need more of this status or I need more of this whatever. So. These are the regrets that people have. So once we realize that life is short and these are common regrets that people have, then we get to make a choice. And that choice can be, I'm going to live my life according to my values. And I'm gonna do my best 
not to compare myself to others, knowing that I still will. But if I can keep reminding myself that I don't have to, that's going to help me. So this financial purpose statement is just if you can distill your values down, answer the simple question, money's role in my life is blank. And try to keep it like a short little mantra. Uh, actually, I keep mine right here. Money's purpose in my life is to help me live a simple, adventurous life and learn more about how the world works. That's my real one. So if mm -hmm. I have this short statement, I can keep reminding myself, this is what money's life, or this is what money's role in my life is, mm -hmm. rather. And then I get to run my decisions through it. So I want to make, a, it could be small decisions too, but start with the big ones. I'm really feeling tempted to buy that newest Tesla. I don't <laughs> know why. I got this friend that has this Tesla and these guys at the gym has this Tesla and everybody wants me to have this Tesla. Well, I can check in with my statement. Money's purpose in my life is to help me live a simple, adventurous life and learn more about how the world works. Does buying a Tesla fit that? I'm not trying to force an answer. I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to mm -hmm. force a no, or for example, I can lawyer up and find loopholes and say, well, yeah, if I had the Tesla, then I'm not hurting the environment and that helps me with my adventures. Fine. The whole point is to grow the, the space between impulse and purchase or stimulus and response. So you're turning an impulsive decision into an intentional decision, reminding yourself what money's role is in your life and reminding yourself what your values are. I love that a lot because I think also on the other side of this is when people are stressed out, right? Um, and, and there's fear and there's like all kinds of things are happening in their life. It, it helps them come back, right? Um, to a point where like, okay, uh, it's, it's may, it, it may not be as great of a situation now, but when you look at this from a different lens, and if you have that filter, right, or that lens that you can, you can use, and, and those are your values, then it becomes so much easier. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is actually a really good conversation. I'm going to work on having mine as ready as you have yours on the, you know, even though on the post-it so I can remind myself. Um because we, I, I mean, we're humans get carried away, right? We're just life happens and having that Tesla sounds really awesome. I mean, believe me in California, every second car is a Tesla. I, honestly, I don't want one, but <laughs> just as an example, um, it's, it, it's, it's tempting for sure. So as we, as we close on our conversation, I know you have a lot of resources on your, on your site. Uh, share with our listeners um, where 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 do they start when they go there, and is there um, I digged a few assessments um, that I thought were valuable, but I'll defer to your suggestion because you created them. Um, wh where they can start to start to explore this topic, like how do they find or solidify their values and sort of stop being distracted by all these other things that happen to all of us? Yeah, fantastic. So I write a weekly column, a weekly post. And you can find that at meaning.blog. And that brings you to my the home base, the, the website. And if you like, I use a lot of simple drawings and stories to try to bring meaning and valued living into the world of, of money. And what we've been talking about here is really my life's purpose, to help people recognize that it's not really about the money, it's about the life. And how can you how can you live the best life possible with the money that you have? So meaning.blog, when you're there, there's a resources tab on the top and you can go to quizzes and assessments, one or, or two that I think would be very valuable. There's one called the values compass, which kind of takes 10 core values that exist and it assesses where you're at in terms of your personal values. Another one is 
uh, a valued living quiz. And that's going to, you know, the so the first one is kind of what do you value? The second one is, okay, here's what you value. Are you living in alignment with that? Just to get a, a thumb on, on the scale there. None of these are intended to blame or shame. This is only information. So I might take it and say, wow, I'm really out of line. The caution is not to feel bad about myself, but instead to ask, that's interesting, I wonder why, and is there anything I can do about that? So those are two assessments and quizzes that might be helpful for people. I love it. Yes. I'm going to link them in the show notes for sure and check them out myself. Um, you know, I mean, I practice financial planning. I know you do more of a therapy and, and coaching uh, with your work, um, but it comes up a lot. I mean, it comes up right off the bat when anyone starts to explore, you know, a, a way to create a financial plan because these things come up right away. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? And so I I love to dig on um, any information that has good good ideas for like how do you how do you like get get on board with what your values are what do you really truly want um, so I thank you so much for today's conversation any last minute thoughts No, just remember and Anna said this already but just remember that you're human and you will get distracted this is the human condition but if you can keep remembering this is what's important to me. That is a small reminder, a small little mantra that you can use every day. And, and you'll be happier in the long run as a result. Awesome. Thank you so much, Derek, for your time. Thank you very much. Hey, Money Boss. Thanks for tuning in today. If this episode did help you, then please be sure to share it with someone else you think will benefit from it too. After all, smart financial decisions are for everyone. Uh, so don't be greedy. I hope I can help you even further by sharing with you how thousands of clients I worked with in my career over the last 16 years created their very own successful financial lives on their terms. It's hard for me to do this over an audio, and if you are ready for the next chapter in your life, then be sure to go to MainStreet-Money.com to get your free resource guide to help you begin correcting top six financial mistakes I see people make all the time, such as not having clear financial goals, not having a handle on spending or saving for the future, not knowing how to get rid of all the debts, and of course, not having a clear strategy or plan on how to protect your hard-earned money. Until next time, remember, you are the boss of your money.